what the people of Tennessee want. The arguments for and against liquor by the drink and the health care needs of rural Tennessee. From News Talk 94.1 and Lake Rock 95.9, your chance to hear where the candidates stand, their background, their interests. Election 2020. Meet the candidates. The early voting period for Tuesday's election is complete and Huge numbers of Upper Cumberland residents have already cast their ballots, knowing what they want to do about not only the national election, but the local elections as well. First up tonight, the Democratic candidate for U.S. Senate, Marquita Bradshaw. Let me start just with uh, your story, because you really kind of captured the, the, the state's attention back in the August primary. How, what's this been like for you, this whole process? Well, I've always worked with people for over 20 years, working on uh, issues around the environment and just being an organizer in the community on workers' rights, social justice, making sure trade policies are fair, and even fighting for education. So this is just in my wheelhouse. Was it hard to throw your name in the ring, so to speak? Look, I had obstacles. The first obstacle was I put my hat in a race with mostly millionaires and ultra billionaires. That's what our U.S. Senate is represented of. And I only had $2.18 in my personal account. And I knew that if I wanted a voice for working people, that I was going to have to work hard to make sure that we have a voice in Washington, D.C. that doesn't get disconnected and build our communities up to make sure that we have healthy and safe communities. You are the exact opposite, then, of what we all kind of have come to think of as Washington of career politicians. You're, I guess, what the framers intended for those in Congress to be? Absolutely. When you look at the U.S. Senate, it should be comprised of all different types of ethnicities, people with different religions, and also people from different regions all over the state. Uh, so when you look at who's normally represented, the power usually comes from East and West Tennessee, East and Middle Tennessee. So a candidate actually coming from West Tennessee has really caught the attention of the whole state. And the fact that I've been to all 95 counties but one, uh, and like I've been through them one time, and now we're going through for the second time. And so we should be finishing up our 95-county Tennessee tour where I have talked to small business owners, workers, uh and and people and constituents all over the state, even just uh, teachers, nurses, just everyone in the state of Tennessee that you you should think that have a, should have a voice in the U.S. Senate, especially right now during a pandemic when Congress has been slow to actually pass a stimulus bill when working people need help in order to stay safe in this pandemic. I want to ask you about that tour in a moment, but before we do that, uh, let's step back for a second and just share with us, if you would, kind of your story, kind of how you came to this point and uh, uh, your upbringing and, and, and what, what kind of centers you as a, as a possible candidate for Congress. Look, I am a family-oriented person. I came from a big family, uh, and, you know, we're tight. We're close-knit family. I am a single mom with a son. I had a working-class salary. And the year that I gave birth to my son, 
was also the year that we found out that we had a national priority list Superfund site in our neighborhood that was making people uh, die and get sick. And so what was there was, was actually chemicals made to kill people and plants very effectively, and even weaponized viruses was stored in this landfill. And so I watched my great-grandmother die the year that I was learning how to breastfeed my son, and after her death, many more people died. So my mom got with community members and our family. We started a nonprofit organization to address environmental policies, why they were not being enforced the same when it comes to black, brown, indigenous, and poor white communities. That's called environmental racism. And so the environmental justice movement addresses that by building healthy and safe communities. It's actually a legal term that we have a framework to make sure that all communities have clean air, clean water, clean soil. And you can't talk about the environment without talking about how our communities are developed what kind of jobs are coming into our communities. And we want to make sure, no matter who you are in the state of Tennessee, you have an environment with a just transition away from pollution, high-quality education, and also making sure that this economy works for working people, too, and not just the ultra-rich. Because right now, if you look at Wall Street, they've been saved three times within a 48-hour period during the beginning part of the pandemic. But when it comes to working people, they still can't get it together for a second stimulus. And right now, everybody needs health care, no matter who you are in this pandemic. If you're in the United States, if we're going to get past the pandemic, people need to be able to freely go to the doctor so they can get diagnosed early so we can have more people on the other side of COVID that's alive than dead. Marquita Bradshaw is with us, one of the candidates running for the United States Senate. Meet the candidates rolls on. As you have traveled across the state of Tennessee beyond COVID, uh, what else have you heard from people? What are the things that are bothering them about our federal government right now? That is so disconnected. Like right now, the leaders that we have are not listening to the people of the state of Tennessee, and they don't even try to have, they don't even try to respond, like at this point, because People are trying to reach out to their federal government, and they should be able to have a direct link and also have that transparency and accountability when it comes to federal policies, because federal policies touch every aspect of our lives, even the workplace conditions. Uh, When you look at the environmental conditions, when you look at our schools, when you look at even our policies when it comes to making sure our communities stay safe with the health department. It it all comes from our federal framework. And when we don't have a strong federal framework, that means that the state cannot and the local uh, government cannot function in a way because they work in concert with each other. And we need to have strong leadership that's connected to people in Washington, D.C., that's going to fight for working people. And that's what I've been hearing from people all over the state, that they want somebody that they can trust and that they know that's going to be a voice for working people. Let's talk about some of the other issues. Uh, one is uh, federal spending, and we understand the challenge of the COVID and the pandemic in terms of spending. But even before that, we have seen federal spending escalate year after year after year. Uh, it's a it's a bill that at some point is going to come due. How do you see that? I see that as that we have a broken system when it comes to how our our tax structure is. Right now, 
that bill is gathering on up under the leadership that's in control right now. And so it needs to change hands so we can actually reform the tax structure to make sure that the ultra-rich is actually paying his share. And that's what's the problem. And we wouldn't have a bill if the ultra-rich was paying their, their fair share. Do you think that we can, is there the will to get a balanced budget in place? The only way that you get a balanced budget is you reform the tax structure where the working man is actually have a fair uh, opportunity to be able to work and be able to live and not just put the tax burden on the working man and the poor. Has health care reform over the last several years, has it done enough to make health care more accessible to Tennesseans? Well, you look at health care, what's in place right now, and that who's been under the, uh, taking, who has the wheel right now. And as, the, as of right now, you have rural counties that do not have hospitals and that do not even have emergency rooms. Um, and that is just unacceptable because that is coming from people sending federal money back that's at our state level. So it's important for people to actually know who they are voting for up and down the ballot and making sure that who you vote for actually will work for working people and not just the drug companies and, and, and make them get richer. And it's destroying our communities when people can't get to the hospital. We got people dying. And you see it because uh, there are multiple counties in and around the Memphis area where they don't have hospitals. There are multiple counties in the Upper Cumberland where there are not hospitals. Absolutely. It's, it's, if, if it's one, it makes our whole hospital infrastructure weak. But we have so many of them, so many counties that do not even have a health care facility. Let that sink in. And so are you are you ready to make a change for somebody that's going to fight to rebuild our, our health care infrastructure to make sure it serves all of Tennessee. Because even I'm connected to, Memphis is connected to Johnson City, Morristown, Lake County, Obion County, uh, Knox County, Davidson County. We're all connected. What happens to one happens to the other. And that's the same thing when it comes to policy. You have to look at policy holistically. You keep having people say, hey, I'm going to bring jobs. But what kind of jobs are you going to bring? It's going to be the same kind of jobs that destroy our communities and make us pollute our rivers and waters and make our communities sick. You cannot talk about jobs without talking about what we're doing to the environment and what we're doing to the economy. We can't send leaders into Washington that don't understand that. And so that's the reason why people should vote for Marquita Bradshaw right now during the uh, Right now, during early voting, and then on November the 3rd, people should vote if they hadn't voted uh, for early voting. And you can go to MarquitaBradshaw.com to learn more. Let's stay with economic development for just a moment. Uh, Bringing in jobs is one thing, but bringing in jobs that pay well is another thing. Uh, Does more work need to be done in our state to, to try to make that happen? Absolutely. Right now, we have a crumbling infrastructure when it comes to roads when it comes to our water delivery system, when it comes to our energy delivery system, our sewage system, we have a crumbling infrastructure. It's outdated, and it needs to be updated. And those are the jobs that's going to get us the things that we need to have healthy and safe communities and pay well. 
like when you fix our water delivery system and you put uh, clean water in every house, business, and school across the state of Tennessee in this nation, that makes us all healthier, and it also brings well-paying jobs. When you go into the, re- the clean, renewable energy infrastructure and invest in that, you, and you give workers the tools where they have public education at a higher educational level with trade schools and things so they can get reskilled and they can be able to keep everything while they're getting reskilled and go into new industries. That's called a just transition where workers can go from industries that pollute, that actually rebuild our society. And that's what we're talking about, expanding broadband all over Tennessee and this nation, making sure our water delivery system actually is clean, where you don't have to worry about lead and other uh, contaminants being in the water, making sure our sewage system just don't go in places where we want our fish to thrive in this great, beautiful state of Tennessee that has a culture of hunting, fishing, and agriculture. So, yes, we're talking about jobs, but then we have to talk about infrastructure too and how that infrastructure is connected to people's lives the broadband issue is an interesting one we have certainly seen here in uh, in white county and cumberland county even putnam county one of the you know the hub of this upper cumberland region that students don't have access to the kind of internet service that they need during this covid pandemic does the federal government need to play more of a role in, in trying to make sure that broadband access is there uh, right now, broadband should be a public utility because when it comes to making sure our children get high-quality education, no matter what zip code that they live in, that means the upper Cumberland and even in the inner city where people can't even afford broadband even though it's there. We have to understand that our children deserve the best, and our educational system should be fully funded from the federal level. The same as our military. We got the best military in the world, and the only way we can have the best educational system in the world is to fully fund it, just like our military. Marquita, what do you feel like Congress's role is in law enforcement reform? We should be moving towards a transformative and restorative justice system. Right now, we have a criminal injustice system that locks people out of the economic process, the educational process, and then they're just not able to participate fully as a citizen when they get on the other side of their mistakes. And so if we want better for our communities and we're in order for them to people to be able to rebuild their lives, we need to address the issues. And then we cannot, we ha- we cannot ignore the fact that people carry biases and racism and that law enforcement needs the right training. And we also need to reimagine what our justice system should look like, having first responders that can respond to people with mental health issues without guns and also people who need addiction support services without guns. This is the opportunity where we can move America forward and not just America, these are the things that people in Tennessee want to see. Because in certain areas, you have an opioid crisis. The opioid crisis, you have to fix it in, in several different ways. It's a healthcare problem. So people need to be able to get treatment, and they need to have uh, comprehensive medical care. And it's a mental health problem, so people need to be able to get those services that they need, and that's within healthcare. People also need the skills to rebuild their lives. 
after they get on the other side of addiction and the support service so they can be successful because it shows, studies shows, when people are able to play meaningful roles in society on the other side of addiction, they're more successful and they're able to rebuild their families and their lives again. And that's the kind of system we should have, a transformative and a restorative justice process and understanding that we do have to deal with racism and we do have to make sure that there are punitive measures to stop that in all aspects of all policies in America. As we wind down our conversation with Marquita, uh, I'm curious, you obviously have an appreciation for the state. I can tell it in your voice, but traveling all over the state, as you've done now in August and now here again as we approach Tuesday, has it given you an even greater appreciation for this state? As a little girl, uh, my uncle and my grandfather, they were gospel preachers. So uh, during the summertime, it was all vacation Bible schools and um, and fellowship. We went to church all the time. And so we went to, went to churches all up and down Tennessee. I'm a member of the Church of Christ. And uh, so I knew how beautiful the state of Tennessee was. We've always went camping. We went fishing. And so we've always enjoyed the recreational part of Tennessee, and I always knew how great people are in the state of Tennessee, that we have some good people that are very neighborly, that look out for each other. And that's what this campaign has embodied, bringing people together, hardworking people that want to see the best for their communities, the best schools, the best economic structure where people can be successful, and also an environment where we can keep our great state, beautiful and healthy for for future generations with clean water, clean air, and clean soil. Because our farmers cannot operate without that, and that's 33% of our, our economic structure in the state of Tennessee. Finally, Marquita, when someone walks into their precinct Tuesday and they've got to make a decision, why should they vote for you? Do you want somebody that's talking about the issues and not dividing people and feeding racism and hatred? Do you want somebody that's going to bring somebody together on the issues that we all agree upon when it comes to having healthy and safe places where people live, learn, work, worship, and recreate? Are you, do you want someone that's going to fight for your family the same as they would fight for their family? Do you want somebody that's going to fight for education to make sure it's high quality, that includes child care, universal pre-K, and where it prepares our children for success in higher ed spaces, historical black colleges, and trade schools? Do you want a workforce where people can go back as industries phase out, where they can be able to make sure that they're able to keep taking care of their families? Do you want an educational system that's the best in the world? Do you want an environment with clean air, clean water, and clean soil? And do you want an economy that works for all hardworking people? And if so, vote Marquita Bradshaw. Go to marquitabradshaw.com. If you already voted and you want to get involved to help other people get to the polls, and you can also donate there. And I just thank you so much, and it's been my pleasure to talk to you, and I want everybody when they go to that poll and they press the button, Marquita Bradshaw for U.S. Senate. Meet the Candidates continues from News Talk 94.1 and Light Rock 95.9 as we count down to Election Day. 
Tuesday, voters in Allgood will decide on liquor by the drink. It is the third time that issue has become before the electorate. The for and against. Joe Harp represents all good citizens against liquor. Joe Harp, thank you for being with us. It's good to be here. What is the position of this organization, the committee, uh, and why they are against liquor by the drink? No, this committee was basically formed in 1994 that uh, I got involved in that situation there, and uh, we oppose liquor by the drink in any type of uh, liquor store that's uh, been been, uh, proposed in all good Tennessee since that time. And we have defeated it two other times in the past, and we hope to do so this time. Because we feel like, the committee feels like, that all good does not need to promote a drug. Uh, alcohol is a drug. It's addictive. It's destructive. And we oppose any type of alcohol legal consumption. When people say to you, okay, I get that, but we're losing out on tax money, what do you? how do you answer that? Well... There's no, we may be losing out some tax money, but that's okay because the offset of divorce, uh, drunkards on the street, uh, rehabilitation is all offset by that situation. And there's basically, Larry, two reasons why people want to have alcohol. And number one reason, I love my liquor. They just love to drink, and it's a terrible thing. And the other one is that I love my profit. And so that's the promotion of the other side there. And uh, But there's too much devastation, too much trouble that goes with it. Some would argue that, well, liquor is legal, and so shouldn't any consumption that is available in a community be legal? How do you answer that? Well... It is legal in some areas, that is for sure, but it's not going to be my by my vote, and hopefully the citizens of all good will see that. How do you fight an issue like this? And you've, you've obviously had uh, several experiences doing that. How, how do you go about getting the word out and getting the discussion on an issue like this? Well, first off, it's a moral issue, too, there, Larry, and uh, we get the word out by signage by word of mouth through uh, Christian organizations, which I am a Christian and proud to be so there, and also uh, media there. We've run paper ads in the past, and we've had billboards in the past. Is it your sense that the, the, and I hate to term it this way, but the morality of the issue have you seen any decline in that over the, the times that you've been fighting it, or are people still as passionate that it is a moral issue? I, can't, I cannot say, Larry, whether it's decline or, or a same. But I do know this. It is a moral issue and a troublesome issue. And you can even look at the city of Cookville and some of the issues that they have with alcoholism, is, such as panhandlers and people on the street there, which all good does not have. 
Some would ask, what is the difference, Joe, between liquor by the drink and alcohol being available in stores? How do you see that difference? Well, basically, there's no difference to this committee. We're opposed to any type of, uh, of selling of alcohol from a store perspective or promotion through a restaurant. Some have argued that all good is missing out on restaurants that would come to the community and be there if alcohol was available. Do you agree with that position? No, uh, I, I definitely know. Allgood's got some fine restaurants. they got some wonderful restaurants without liquor by the drink there, and they will continue to promote and have good restaurants in the future. That's just a kind of a, an excuse of, bringing, uh, of getting liquor by the drink in there, and so we are opposed to that. How has this campaign been different than the previous campaigns you've waged? Well, uh, this campaign here is that um, is different because the other the opposition to us or the promotion of of alcohol has been more in the forefront. They've had uh, more campaign signs uh, and things of that nature than they ever had in the past. What do you say to someone who will go? into that precinct in the next few days and make that decision, why should they vote against liquor by the drink for the city of Allgood? Listen, uh, Allgood, and I'm speaking to all Allgood citizens, let's make liquor still at arm's length in Allgood. Let's protect our children. Let's protect our elderly. Let's protect our women. And, and let's protect people that want alcohol and have to go a little bit further to get it. Let's vote against liquor by the drinking all good once again here in 2020. Thank you. Tennessee House District 38 includes Clay, Pickett, a part of Fentress County, as well as Macon and Scott County. Kelly Keesling is being challenged in that particular race by Carol Abney. Why step in to this political arena? Why did it interest you? That is a great question. What happened was I went back to college at Community College at Volunteer State in Livingston, and I started that in 2010, and I loved it so much I just kept going. My husband has a good, solid garage business in Salina. He's been here for 30 years, Randall's Garage, and we were in a position where we could send me to school. So while I was in college, it was so funny, um, I was the grad assistant for a professor, and he used to call me the mayor of Salina. And he was always like, I know you're going to go back and be mayor of Salina. Well, that's not exactly what happened. (laughs) I came back, and of course, 2016 prompted me to get into politics, and I had never really been into politics, and I was a CPA by this time. Um, Actually, I became a CPA in 2017, but I was working on getting my CPA. And the the state party asked me to run in 2018 for state representative, and I had never really thought about being in politics. I had thought of it because my professor used to say that, and I was in a lot of leadership positions, but I hadn't really, I didn't have a plan. So that prompted me to put my name in the arena and get a plan, and then when I ran in 2018, I was just mortified by what was happening with the state budget, and then... Solana lost, we lost our hospital 
in January of 2019, right after the election, and in May of 2018, I was telling people, they've moved their key people, this is coming, our hospital is going to close, and, and of course, lots of people thought that I was saying that because I was running for office, and I was kind of, but at the same time, it happened. So now, fast forward to now, and we've lost Fentress County's hospital. Um, Big South Fort Medical Center in Scott County is on the rocks. They, you know, they missed payroll a couple of times. And so our district that serves 65,000 people only has one solid hospital in Macon County out of five counties. What is the biggest challenge of that beyond the obvious of not having access to emergency care? Well, the businesses that are in Salina, like I said, my husband has a garage in Salina, and I worry every day. You know, if if somebody gets hurt, you know, we don't have access to a local ER. It's going to be, if you're bleeding out or if you have something. So that's the first problem is health and, and people having access and not dying. So then the next issue is how do we... How do we fund these hospitals in rural counties? And, you know, as an accountant, you have to look at the money. You always have to look at the money. And I know that that Cookville Regional Medical Center owned Salina's Hospital before they shut it down, and they moved a lot of the services that Salina had to Cookville because a lot of people wanted to go to bigger places because they they think it's better, they have more access to doctors and stuff. But at the same time, you know, I feel that hospitals should be there to serve instead of to make money. So it it seems like we went towards this trend of making money off of people's medical health, and, and I just, I don't agree with that. I think, and, you know, hospitals have special rules for their reporting and stuff just because, they serve people's medical, and I think that we have to look at that. I think we have to look at the primary goals of all the health facilities, and I think our state legislators and the General Assembly, a lot of them are not doing that. you know. And then another part of that goal is the people, like there's one guy that owns Jamestown Regional and Big South Fork, and, and he's kind of a nefarious character. And what happened was when not expanding Medicaid has let these people buy these hospitals for pennies, and they use them to make money, and he's one of those guys that's done that. So, I mean, there's a lot of issues surrounding this health care. You don't want to make people, like I don't want the government making people make choices, but at the same time I want them to have access to the health care they need. There's also the perception issue of it. I mean, much like a, a company that's looking at a community to grow, they look at schools, they look at parks, they're going to look at hospitals to see if you have one and what's the quality of care. Absolutely. You know, I'm on the Workforce Development Committee in Clay County, and we, we were just, it was so tragic when our local hospital closed because we're trying to draw businesses here. And, you know, in doing that, we're trying to draw retirees. We're trying to draw people. I mean, that hospitals is one of the main issues they look at. You know, if we don't have a good hospital, if we don't have good health care, then a lot of people are going to pass us up. And, you know, speaking on issues about the hospital, you know that 
COVID numbers are crazy out of sight in this area right now. Well, Putnam County, I think, has one hospital in the surrounding counties besides Cookville Regional. So, you know, all of our people are going to that hospital. And from what I understand, you know, there were patients in the hall at Cookville Regional yesterday. So it doesn't just affect us here in this county. Our hospital closing sends all of our people to the next hospital they can find, which is Livingston or Cookville or wherever. And so you've got a lot more people. I think that we have to focus more on these little facilities, and I think they have more value than people realize. From your perspective as serving on the Workforce Development Committee, what role does the state play in trying to get development into areas like Clay County, like Pickett County, like Fentress County? So at the state legislature, a lot of the bills that they vote on and they pass has to do with business coming to Tennessee, and you have to find that healthy balance. You have to – you need – corporations, you need big business. You need Tennessee to be healthy and to um, manufacture things because people need jobs. And it's not all about having a advanced college degree and getting a high-paying job. You know, there's a lot of other high-paying jobs like welding and things such as that. There's a lot of manufacturing jobs. If we can, like Tennessee is one of the best places for transportation in the United States having I-40 from east to west all across the state, everybody talks about how fortunate we are with our roadways and stuff. So the state legislature, they have a lot to do with the funding for our infrastructure that draws businesses. But I think we have to find that healthy balance. What we don't have at the state legislature is somebody that, for instance, I live here in District 38. The poverty rate's almost 30% in this district. You know, you have to find the balance and help those distressed counties. We had 15 distressed counties when I ran in 2018. I think it's lower now. So a distressed county means that your county is in the lowest 10% of incomes in the nation. Well, or lowest 10% of economies in the nation. Well, Clay County is still a distressed county. I think Scott County is still a distressed county, and Fentress County came out. But when we give... $300 million in grants and incentives to Volkswagen and Chattanooga for 1,500 jobs, we also have to make sure that we balance that out with helping our distressed counties. And I think that that's something that the Tennessee legislature lacks. I think we need stronger voices from the economies that are not as good to try to balance out the help we give to everybody. Carol Abney is with us. She's running in District 38 for the Tennessee House. Education. Is the state doing enough, not enough, or just right? The state is not doing enough for our teachers or our schools. So I'm totally against vouchers. I think that giving taxpayer funds to private schools is horrendous and will take money away from schools that need that money, public schools. You know, in rural Tennessee, we depend on our public schools. Um, something else, teachers, if you adjust for the cost of living, teachers make less now in Tennessee than they did 20 years ago. That That's horrendous. Also, this year, and, of course, we're looking at COVID times, so that makes things different, but when they – they, there was a teacher raise on the table, and they took it out. So we've effectively doubled our teachers' workload 
in 2020 because of COVID and we took away their raises. <laughs> so, no, the state is not doing enough for teachers or schools at all. I mean, I, I've got five counties and we fundraise for school supplies in every county. I've got one county where they they discussed not long ago raising the wheel tax to $100 because they needed to build a school. And, you know, in a district where people were almost 20,000 people live on less than $12,000 a year, we cannot keep raising wheel taxes and property taxes to make up the difference for our state legislature not going to Nashville and telling them what we need. When you look at this whole idea of spending and what we spend money on, how do you approach that? What 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 decision making do you look at it? Uh, you know, in terms of what's the, the expenditure and what's going to be the benefit of that money. So, <clears throat> I look at the folks in my district. I look at what we have. I look at what businesses we have. What kind of support they're getting. You know, I don't know anybody that. There are people that knows more about economies, but as far as this economy is concerned in this district, like I said, my husband has worked manual labor in this district every day for the last 30 years in Clay County. So I don't know that anybody, and I, ha- I have all, everything that he's made for the last 20 years in paperwork, and I look at that, and so I can see the economy has continuously gotten worse over the last 10 years. You have to think about the people that you are talking about. One good example is um, our state representative, Kelly Keeslin, voted to pass a gas tax in 2017. It was part of the Tennessee Improve Act. And that tax is a regressive tax because, you know, six cents on a gallon of gas across the board takes more of a percentage of poor people's income than it does higher income levels. So that's a regressive tax. You know, they did away with the hall tax. The hall tax was a progressive tax. It it taxed interest and dividends that people earned over $2,500 for couples, I think. Um, but you see the difference there. Like, they did away with the progressive tax and they instituted a regressive tax, which disproportionately hurt the people in my district. So even though if my party aligned with passing the IMPROVE Act, I've got to go to Nashville and say, look, I I can't vote for this because my people can't pay it. And that's what we're lacking. We're lacking a voice in the state legislature that will stand up and explain to people. And I think me being a CPA and understanding taxes and budgets is a huge advantage that I think that would help us tremendously. Do you think it's harder for the rural communities in Tennessee to keep their voice heard, especially as places like Nashville and Knoxville grow? Yes, absolutely. It seems like we get drowned out a lot. Um, Social media has made it so much easier. You know, 10, 15, 20 years ago when we didn't have all this social media, like, our our leaders would just go to Nashville and do whatever they want to, and then they come back here and they just tell people whatever they want to tell them. Well, now, especially since I've been running for office, I don't think that um, – I think that my opponent had had a couple of people challenge him, but I don't think anybody's run a real campaign the way I have. I mean, you know, we've made almost 25,000 calls. We've sent 20,000 texts. We've sent 
6,200 written postcards telling people what's happening. So people don't know out here that um, we're giving up $1.9 billion a year by not expanding Medicaid and that we've already paid that money in federal taxes. We're just giving it to another state. Nobody out here realized that until I told them. You know, and a lot of my friends have helped me, not just me, but, you know, we, we've tried to bridge that gap between the ur- urban area and the rural area. And there's a lot of things that we talk about this all, time, all the time in the Democratic Party. There's a lot of things that urban Democrats don't understand about rural Tennessee. And so what I've tried to do is I try to take information back to them help them understand and then bring information back here to my people and help them understand so we can all come together and be more united. Are you proud of the job that you and your team have done, no matter what happens on Tuesday? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. My campaign manager's name is Eric Patton. He lives in Nashville. His mama is a retired teacher from Fentress County. She still lives in Fentress County. And we have we have run a campaign that is unheard of in Tennessee. We we've raised almost thirty thousand dollars for the poorest state house district in Tennessee. So whatever happens, we've absolutely done all we can do. Carol Abney, she is a candidate in District Thirty Eight for the Tennessee House. Carol, thanks so much for spending some time with us. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Representative Kiesling said he did not have time to participate in Meet the Candidates. For complete coverage of election 2020 and the news that matters to you, follow News Talk 94.1 on Facebook and Twitter. If you missed any part of tonight's interviews, they are available on our website, newstalk941.com or lightrock959.com.